As our kids are making their way out, man, can you just feel the overwhelming sense of victory and joy in the house today? This is such an encouragement. Make sure you get out, go ahead and get out your Bibles, get out your notebooks, because we're going to get started here. And uh, Pastor Matt and I really, really believe that we have a word for you today. Yeah. Yeah, We really, really do. Man, I love the fact that, uh, in case you haven't heard, by the end of this year, our little church is going to have 60 kids that are age 10 and under. Yeah, that's uh, from starting off in a living room that moved to a garage where putting out 50 chairs was the biggest step of faith that our church could have done at the moment. And uh, to now have 60 kids just under the age of 10 is, pretty, is an amazing thing. Yeah. Amen. Well, good morning, LCM. Today is July 14th, 2019. Look, I'm going to remind you again, four days from now, the Stevens, the Eregina, and the Sheridan are going to be back from Indonesia. Six days from now, Mr. Abambola Daramola and Miss Jessica Cross are going to be married. Incredible. Eleven days from now, we are sending a team to visit with the Brassos in Ihad to Peru in Chivai, Peru. Man, we, we are not a church that likes to sit back on our laurels, but I can tell you this, today, everybody say today. Today. Right now, we have a word specifically designed for you, and you need to get ready for it. Oh, does that make you excited, church? Yeah. That the God of all heavens has given us manna to feast on this morning. Yeah. Speaking of last Wednesday, Justin, to knock you upside the head, Treaster, oh, walked us through developing our family attitude. Were y'all blessed by that message? We learned that all members of the family are to possess an indestructible attitude. You see, the Stevens, they have a full price attitude. The Piros have a living sacrifice attitude. The Sutherlands have a I will lay down my life kind of attitude. And all three of our family attitudes are indestructible. Come on. They are indestructible because we are confidently walking under our God-given family banner that has been assigned to us and to our church. Amen. This morning, we are continuing our series of building your family banner. Yeah. And as I mentioned, there are 60 kids by the end of this year that are going to be under the age 10 and under. I think it's an important time for the Lord to be building our family banners. For us to get our families in the right order. And actually, I believe that part of the fruit of us getting our families in the right order, I believe that this church is on the verge of starting to see a lot of souls come into this house. A lot of people just showing up from outside that you don't know. We're not really sure how they get here, but I believe that the Lord is going to send them. As we get right shalom within our own hearts, having a zero faith, a no reserve, a no holds barred kind of attitude, as we get our families into the right alignment, I know that what God is doing is he's ready to open up the windows of heaven as far as souls are concerned in this house. And I believe that this is going to take place. Today, we're going to focus on the fourth component of our family banner, which is mission. Somebody say mission. Mission. Everybody in the room, turn with me to Exodus chapter 3, and we're going to look at verse 11. Exodus chapter 3 and verse 11. It says this, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Man, we don't even have time to preach about this, about this verse today. Anybody ever had the thought of who am I? Yeah, Yeah, often. And God said though, I will be with you and this will be the sign. The Hebrew word there is ot, 
the banner to you that it is I who have sent you. You want to know how God is going to show you that he is with you? When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Now see, what happens is is that, that Moses is speaking with God and he's standing at the foot of a mountain at this moment. And what God is saying is, what I'm saying to you right now is after I send you forth and you do what I tell you to do, there's going to be a time where you're going to come back to this exact spot and you know it's going to be different? You would have liberated the entire nation of Israel. You will know that I'm with you when you're standing back right here. But this time, you're not just standing here by yourself. You've brought an entire nation with you. I mean, think about what the Lord is saying here. I'm going to give you the sign. You know what the sign is? Your sign is going to be that you're going to complete what I give you to do. What an incredible part of our family banner today. Our great God, the one who makes known the end while you're still standing at the beginning of something, is letting Moses know well in advance that he will accomplish his mission because God will be with him. Man, we have walked through building a family banner that originates from a supernatural sign, the Hebrew word of ot, and it never fails to give us direction, encouragement, and purpose. Then we were reminded of God's very personal, powerful promises to us. And as Pastor Matt has already mentioned, Justin Treaster did an incredible job of moving us to have an indestructible attitude and confidence in the Lord. Church, today, we're going to help you define your family mission. Amen. The truth is, is since we've begun this series, Pastor Matt and I, most of our meetings with you has been about talking you through each and every one of these steps for your family banner. But I can already tell you this. Your family banner is not always a singular, specific mission, but it is always defined by completing the missions that the Lord sends you on. There has got to be a completion mentality that we have. So we want to help simplify this in a way that everyone in the room walks away with an understanding of each component in building your family banner, particularly this morning, building your family missions. Let me help define something for you. Missions are the good works prepared in advance for you and must be completed. If we don't have that last component, it's not a true mission. It's just a theory. It's just a partial effort. Let me say this again. Missions are the good works prepared in advance for you to do, and they must be completed. Does everybody get that? The way you begin to understand your family mission is to trust that God has ordained you to have one. In a lot of our conversations about this information that's coming at you like drinking from a fire hose, you're trying to just take it all in and it's just not happening, is that you can become discouraged that you don't have the revelation that you see everyone else has. That discouragement turns into despair and somehow you get it inside your heart that God really hasn't apportioned this for you. I want to eradicate that in the house of God this morning. Amen. Because you are made in God's image, you are designed to have a family banner. You are designed to have a family mission. Amen. The trust is that God has ordained you to have one and that it contains, listen very carefully, repeated supernatural components. Say this after me. Repeated Repeated. Supernatural. Supernatural. Components. Components. That's a key part. If you trust that God, the God of heaven will reveal your family mission to you and then refuse to depart from what the Lord tells you, your family mission will become clear. 
Who in this room needs their family mission to become clear? Trust that God will reveal it to you. And then refuse to do anything other than what he told you to do. In addition to that, you will complete that family mission through repeated supernatural components. You have to take your stand that the God of heaven is going to reveal his will to you personally, to your family personally, and that he is going to match his revelation to you with supernatural components. Hey man, what a good word for all of us this morning. You, can, you need to throw away your feelings for just a little while. Yeah. You need to put your thoughts in a box and bury them somewhere else because what Pastor Matt just gave you was an incredible component that will help your life, that will help you walk in everything that God has said. We want you to experience and see repeated supernatural components. But what that takes in all of us is that you can't give up on what he's already told you. Yes. Yes. See, we want him to continue to speak to yes. us. We want to see the supernatural, but none of us want to be in need of anything supernatural. Woo. Oh, man, I want miracles in my life. Do you really? Do you know what it takes for you to get miracles? You have to be in a place where nothing else is going to work. Oh, that's a good word. You have to be in such a... a, a, a confined space that it's only God that can get you out that brings the miracle. See, but we want you to have repeated supernatural components to this. Man, if we're going to help you clarify your family mission today, we need to define what mission is so that we're all on the same page. If you plug in mission into an online search engine, you get three different definitions. And we don't expect you to be able to read that. We're going to read it to you. We're just like, no, really, this is the web. Pray in the Holy Ghost and it'll give you the interpretation of what's on the screen. It's okay. We, we got you covered. It's all right. This will be for the PDF later when you download it online, and you'll actually see that it's exactly what we're saying now. The first definition is, it's an important assignment. I just typed in the word mission into the blank on an online search engine. This is what it says, an important assignment carried out for political, religious, or commercial purposes, typically involving travel. Involving travel made me kind of laugh. I was like, this is really funny. In other words... The beginning of what we start to think about in mission is this part of the definition has produced a connotation, a thought in our mind that a mission is somewhere far off. Something that you will have to leave where you are now to go towards at some point in the distant future. Another connotation is that this is a special assignment. Something uh, like uh, should your mission, should you choose to accept it? Doom, 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 doom. Some mission impossible that you're supposed to engage in. It's a special assignment. See, while these definitely paint an exciting picture, what is it like when I get to go somewhere? Ooh, that's exciting. Because, of course, being where I am cannot be possibly exciting. I've got to go somewhere else to do something else for it to be special to me. But that's okay. See, I'm excited about that. Hold up, Pastor. You're hitting my heart. (laughs) While this definitely paints an exciting picture, We want you to consider a few more things before you view your family mission through this lens. The second definition is vocation or calling of a religious organization, especially a Christian one, to go into the world and spread its faith. This is the the definition found online. Well, it didn't originate with Google. I can say that. (laughs) Originated with something like Matthew 28, 18. Right? The Great Commission. Another way to say that would be the Great Common Mission. Commission, right? I remember when God began to speak to LCM and move us to bring the good news 
of transformational power, of life-changing power outside of our four walls. And we began to take missions trips to Mexico. It's what helped define the culture of our church, wanting to take what's in here and perform it out there. We stretched to the far reaches of India, of Indonesia. Currently, our team is there in Indonesia. How many multiple trips have been made to Turkey so far, spanning its height and breadth, driven all over the country of Turkey, in hopes of planting a work there eventually? This is what we're doing. We're raising up five-fold ministers and pillars in the house of God. It is something that is right. It's good. It's biblical. We should be shooting for these things. Having a mission that goes out into the world is a great thing. The Word of God demands it, but our mission doesn't end once we set our feet on foreign soil, saints. You guys know that once we get to that country that we're doing a mission trip on, there's so much more work to do. Being there isn't the end of our mission. See, the third definition says this. It's a strongly felt aim, ambition, or calling. See, this is really the definition that we want to focus on. Now we're getting to kind of the heart of the matter today. This may be the least understood of our definitions, but it is probably the most applicable for our family banner. You see, what we are defining as your family mission is less about the special assignment that is here for a short while, accomplished nice and tidy way, and then we move on. It's less about a trip that you can take and return from. We're talking about something that is defining your everyday pursuit. Everybody say everyday. Everyday. See, what we're talking about is a mission that impacts your everyday pursuit of your manor or your mezuzah. Now, look, I've gone on, uh, we've gone on trips with a lot of you guys. Some of you, we are still waiting to get immigration things in order so that we can go with you out of this country because we want you to come back into the country. (laughs) We have some people here at LCM who so excel on international trips Man, we leave the the comforts and the blessings of the good old U.S. of A. And people flourish. They become lions and lionesses on the mission field. We're like, golly, I can't believe this person. Look what they're doing. But let me tell you something that is more important than us going away and watching you turn into a lion or a lioness somewhere in some other country because you are on a missions trip. See, as your pastors, it is so much more valuable to us. We want to see the mission trip version of you. Every single day. Yes. See, we don't want to have to go away to be something special. We want to see you on mission all the time. Oh, do y'all hear what the pastor is preaching? Maybe it's something that's part of LCM culture that we're going to perform out there what we have practiced in here. Leads us to the title of today's message. I know you guys may have been wondering if we're going to say that. The title is... Man on a mission. Oh, come on now. We have to be a man on a mission. Let's turn to Joshua chapter 14. We'll start in verse 7. Are y'all staying with us this morning? Let the caffeine of the Holy Ghost kick in if you're struggling. There you go. Talk to me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. And I brought him back a report according to my convictions. Say convictions. Convictions. But my brothers who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt with fear. Man on a mission starts 
with understanding convictions. Deep convictions. Deep convictions that allow you to see what the fearful cannot. Have you been around men with deep convictions? When you were trembling with fear, somehow they had clear discernment when you struggled even to see your hand in front of your face. We need to be a church filled with deep convictions. Amen. Fear is always going to be there ready to steal the vision and mission of God on your life. But deep convictions will drive it far away. Caleb possessed such deep convictions that he could stand with only one other brother and say, let's go take what God promised. Come on, that's a man on a mission right there. That's a man on a mission. This actually makes me reminiscent of a time when there was something called promise keepers. In 1994, we're standing in Denton, Texas at TCU. And we are worshiping, we're enjoying a good time in the Holy Ghost with 35,000 men in one place. The clouds begin to darken. Peals of lightning begin to rip and the wind picks up. We look behind us and we see what looks like a tornadic hurricane descending upon the stadium. The man at the podium stands up and he says, Men of God, there have been witches and there's been sorcerers praying against this meeting that we're having right now. Let's turn and face the cloud and begin to believe that God can split this thing apart. 35,000 men turn and they begin to shout the name of Jesus at this storm. And you know what happened? Hail came down. The winds picked up and blew over the entire stage that the man was standing on. And in an instant, he went from being the brave leader of 35,000 to saying, Run for your lives! We're all standing there. And we're saying... Wait a minute. We have driven four and a half hours to stand in a place to be promise keepers and stand up as bold men of God with deep convictions. And everyone fled the stadium except for five bold men. I stood there with David Hall and Eric Stevens. We're in the center of the football field, and we continue to face that storm being pelted in the face with hail, with wind and rain, and we prayed in the Holy Ghost. And once we figured out that it was not going to be the end of all lives, we started running from the 50-yard line and slid from the 25 into the end zone. We put joy as a cloak on our shoulders, and we danced in the Holy Ghost Because the God that we serve stood within us when everybody else chose to fled. He continues on. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. There couldn't be a better way to follow the living God. So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance. And that of your children forever, because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. We're looking at Caleb because we need to be inspired by this kind of man on a mission. He wholeheartedly pursued the banner for which God had made him. Let's continue on with the story. Verse 10. Now then, just as the Lord promised... He has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses while Israel moved about in the desert. So here I am today 
85 years old. Do we have anybody who's 85 years old in the house today? Anybody 85? Okay, just checking. I feel like it. (laughs) You see, what we're beginning to, to ingrain in each of you is this, is that being on a mission, a real mission, you might even say a mission from God, should be the defining mark of your entire life. It's not just a season. It's not something when you're young and that that passion should wane or should begin to fail. It should be the exact opposite. And this is why we call Caleb into mind. Caleb is 85 years old. So since no one in this house, no one in this room is yet 85 years old, I'm going to say that no one in this room has any excuse not to do and have the exact same mission that Caleb did. Yeah. Caleb is a man with no excuses. See, when you are a man on a mission, you eliminate other people's excuses. See, I can't do that. Well, that guy's doing it. No, see, that's just impossible to be that committed to the Lord for that long. Your elders in this house have done it. Well, what about this? It begins to eliminate all excuses. This is Caleb. He is the same man on the same mission for 45 years, church. Not 45 minutes. Not 45, for 45 years. And he's still not done. (laughs) He's like, oh yeah, it's time. Oh, this is what I've been living for. This is what my mission has been about. I've been ready for this my whole life. No amount of time, no amount of difficulties, no amount of setbacks, not even the fact that he and Joshua are the only one left in his own generation. But only if I had someone to come along and help me. Apparently, Caleb didn't need that. And he's 85. Remember Exodus 3? This is the banner. This is the supernatural sign is when you complete what you start. Look at verse 11. It says, I am still as strong. That word is kazak there, by the way. I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. Mm. I love this. I love this man on a mission. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Does this sound like a special assignment to you? A one-day task? A singular trip? Not at all. This is the dedication and convictions of a lifetime. This man on a mission cannot be stopped, dissuaded, or deterred. Uh, uh, Joy, would you put this verse in the NASB for me? Still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out, just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. I want to show you what the NASB says here. It says, I am still as strong today as I was in the day Moses sent me. Okay, that makes sense. As my strength was then, so my strength is now. Still pretty much what the other translation said. This last part is very, very different. See, what the NIV is trying to do is saying, we're worried that you won't understand, so we're going to change something because you may not understand what it says. The NASB is actually closer to the Hebrew here. And it says, my strength was then, so my strength is now, for war, for going out, and for coming in. Now, You can look at this in the Hebrew and you can see different words here, both to go out and to come in. What is he saying here? What is this man on a mission? What is this indestructible attitude and this promise that he's holding on to? Let me tell you something. The combination of these Hebrew words here help define a man on a mission. He's filled with an indestructible attitude, a heavenly promise, a supernatural banner. It is a statement saying, I own this. And nothing will stop me from completing the task. When he says, I will go out and I will come back in. In other words, he's saying, I'm going to put on my armor for the battle. I'm going to go and I'm going to win in the battle. And I'm going to come back and I'm going to take my armor off after having been victorious. 
Come on, that's the attitude that we are trying to engender, not just in a select few in this church. Man, I'm not just trying to get at Judah Stevens. Man, what a lion. I want a church full of Judah Stevens. I want every man and every woman in this church to have that same attitude that says, I'm going to go out, and when the Lord has assigned me something, I will put on my armor, I will go out and fight until it's done, and I will come back and take my armor off only when victory has been wrought. And I'm going to do it. I'm going to own this. Somebody say, I own this. I own this. Man, we talk about that as far as people's fashion statements nowadays. Oh, they own that. Oh, Really? Quit your sissy lifestyle and get ready for a battle, man. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Man, doesn't doesn't this kind of man, Caleb, sound like the Stevens mission? You'll know it's the Lord when they finish what they did, what they were assigned. Doesn't this sound like the P. Rose mission to be a living sacrifice? This is exactly what we have. This is exactly what Caleb has, and it's exactly what each of us must have today. Come on, church. Caleb is such a clear example for us to demonstrate a man on a mission, isn't he? This is LCM, though. And we are building a church full of Caleb's who possess a family banner, a mezuzah, a supernatural sign that defines who you are and why you are here. It gives you the overall direction for your life and your family as you move towards the end goal. Man, what we have here are a group of people who have a family promise that they can hold on to. That divine, personal application of the Word of God that helps give you hope, crush your fears, and build your faith. Well, LCM is filled with some family attitude. Yeah, you're right. Which is how you and everyone under your family banner are to carry it out. This is what indestructible confidence is supposed to look like. And today we're helping you to build your family mission. Those things that contain those repeating supernatural components in your life that has the result, the effect, the impact of producing in you deep convictions as you accomplish your banner. Amen. Come on, this is a good day in the house of the Lord. He is building us and it's something that he's not just building us for now. He's building us for, to build families that will last through the generations. The word of prophecy came forth in our worship service today. Man, what an incredible thought. Turn with us to Genesis 24. Genesis chapter 24, we're going to start in verse 1. You know, with the wedding coming up this next Saturday, I, I was thinking about some passages, some different passages. And this is one that came to mind. But I think what we're going to see is not only a appropriate scriptures for the idea of a wedding, but I think what we're going to find is the, the perfect scriptures to help us to build our family mission today. Amen. In Genesis 24, 1, say there when you're there. there. Amen. Verse 1 says this, Abraham was now old, <laughs> thank you, and well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. He said to his chief servant in his household, the one in charge of all that he had, let me explain to you this chief servant. This is Eleazar. This is a man who had been with Abraham the longest. He had reflected him the best. He understood him the most. And Abraham commissioned a common mission. He commissioned his chief servant, Eleazar, to find a suitable bride for his son that would be worthy of standing under their family banner. See how this is appropriate? Because Abraham was a man on a mission, he was able to empower and direct Eleazar to become a man on a mission. See, when you're a man on a mission, it doesn't just stop with you. It has to begin to impact the people around you. 
Continue. Look at what Abraham goes on to say. Put your hand under my thigh. I want to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I am living, but will go to the country and my own relatives and get a wife for my son Isaac. Hey, I need you to be on this mission and I need you to swear to God that you're going to accomplish this mission. Yeah. Swear to the Lord of heaven and earth that you will get a wife for my son. Man, what an important mission. Yeah, it is. I mean, what an incredibly important mission. But you can't just go out anywhere and do this. You see, I don't want you to get it from the people who are around me. You've got to go back to the land of the faithful to find this kind of person. This kind of person just doesn't fall off a tree. You've got to go find where the faithful are. Look at verse 5. The servant asked him, What if the woman is unwilling to come back with me to this land? Shall I then take your son back to the country you came from? Now I have to be honest with you. I've always looked at this verse as that the servant was already starting to hedge his bets. But um, what if she doesn't come back with me? Um, so um, Abraham, ha, what if she doesn't want... No, 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 no. What I got a revelation of on this was he's not hedging his bets. You know what he's doing? Eleazar is the same man on a mission, the same type of man on a mission that Abraham is. He's trying to find the boundaries. He's trying to figure out, I'm going to do this at any cost. So if I can't get her to come, I'll scoop up your son and go there, right? He's finding out ways to make sure that the mission is successful. He's not afraid. He's just saying, before I even get started, I intend to put my armor on, go and own this, and come back and take my armor off. Is it okay if I do it this way? The going in and coming out to accomplish it at any cost. You know what? This story reminded me just of a time in the Sutherland's life. Uh, I was at school, and by this point I had transitioned from being a school teacher to an assistant principal. And one day at work, the Lord began to work on my heart about getting an extra certification. And I'm like, okay, Lord. So I kind of searched around on the internet around to see what kind of extra certifications that I could get. And I found this program to get a master's degree at Louisiana State University. I didn't want to do that. I didn't want, I didn't want to do that. I was like, are you kidding me? I was hoping I could do like a, a three month summer thing that gave me the certification that I wanted so that I could be uh, a different kind of principal than what I was. I was like, okay. So I prayed about it and the Lord was, I felt like he dropped it in my heart as part of my mission to do. Later on that afternoon, I called Christy from my office phone, and I was like, um, so, uh, babe, hey, hi, how you doing? You doing good? You having a good day? See, I think the Lord told me today that I'm supposed to go back and get a certification, and it's going to require me to go get a master's degree. You see, when you're on a mission, what the Lord starts doing is giving you repeated supernatural components. Yes. Do you know what my beautiful wife said? She said, huh, that sounds exactly like the Lord has spoken to you. You go do anything that you're supposed to do. Amen. I was kind of hoping she would balk at it so I'd have a reason not to go do it. As I looked into it, some of these repeated supernatural components were that it was going to cost me $12,000 in the next 12 months. I was a school teacher. I was barely, I mean, I was an assistant principal at the time at a private school. So I was making like 40 grand a year. How can someone making 40 grand a year do an extra $12,000 out of the budget? I didn't know. But I began to implement the process. And what I found out was that the Lord gave me extra jobs to do. 
People would ask me to come and lead worship for a church, some small church on an off day from where our church was, and they were actually paying me money to lead worship. That was such a strange concept. But I accepted it because I knew that the Lord was not just raining down money from heaven upon me. He was saying, I will give you opportunity to go get exactly what you need. That's a good See, I had to work for every penny of it, but it was the Lord that was providing the provision. Finances, my job, having the strength to work 60 hours a week at my job, plus 12 hours of grad school in class, 12 hours a week, plus another 15 to 20 hours of actual homework so I could be ready for the grad school classes. And during that time, we didn't miss a worship practice for the church that we were at. We didn't miss a Bible study. We never missed a service. We were there early, and we were ready to, to go. See, what Caleb does is he eliminates some of your excuses. When you are a man on a mission, you know what that does for me? Man, it gives me all the sympathy in the world. No, actually, it doesn't. When you come to me and tell me how busy you are, I'm like, <laughs> I had two kids. I had a job. I had all kinds of stuff going on. I'm like, amen. I know what the Lord is doing in you. He's trying to teach you how to be a man or a woman on a mission. Yeah. See, you think the busyness is something that's working against you, and the Lord is just putting you, he's putting something into you that you will never stop. It doesn't matter the price. See, I put my armor on, man. It's already on. I'm going out, and I'm going to own this. And when I get done, when I'm completed what God gave me to do is my mission, then I take my arm off. I'm not even thinking about taking it off until this job is done. Yes. Man, you need to be some excuse eliminators in this house. (laughs) And the way you do that is you become men and women on a mission. It doesn't even matter. I would put my wife to bed. I would put the kids to bed. And I would go work until I just fell asleep at the computer writing some 60-page paper that was due for the next week. See, I understand what it's like. See, I'm a nerd. So for me, it was was working on with my brain. And who who is it? Ohad says, this is not work. (laughs) I agree with you. What the Lord was doing was he was pushing me to my limits. Yes. When you're a man on a mission, you're always going to get pushed to your yes. limits. Yes. I, I think about, in my mind, when I start thinking about a man on a mission, I just think about a movie scene when the men are actually on the battlefield. And you get the main hero and the main villain, and they catch eyes across the battlefield. There's all kind of warfare going on. And the two men lock eyes and say, this is now my mission. This is what I'm going to do. You are going down. And they start walking towards each other, right? Slow-mo. Right? Everyone around them doesn't even matter. See, when you're a man on a mission and you've locked into what God has, it doesn't even matter. If someone gets in your way, you just completely destroy them and decimate them so that you can keep going forward. This is what we're doing. But what about your family, church? See, I've experienced some things in my life. That was one season of having to be a man on a mission. But do you see how the other, each of the other facets of the family banner must be in place before you can really be a man on a mission? Yeah. You can try to just jump into the mission stage because that sounds cool to you. How are you going to do that without an indestructible attitude? If you just start here on step four with the mission, you may get yourself in trouble. You're going to stay busy but you're always going to be worn out. You may be active, but you're not really accomplishing anything. See, this is what Jude is speaking about when he's talking about the clouds that are without rain, trees without fruit. Isaiah says it's like giving birth to the wind. Or the truth is, is you'll just get discouraged. You'll become fearful and feel that what we're saying doesn't apply 
to you. See, it applies to every one of us in this place. We have to be people who are on a mission. See, we're building this, folks. This is how your family is built. We are decoding. We're unlocking some things that the heavens have given to this church so that you can rightly build your family. See, everybody wants to sound like they're like a Caleb. Caleb is one of my favorite characters in the Bible. But we are supposed to be, (laughs) says the wife of Caleb. I see what you did there. I see what you did. We're talking about accomplishing something in Christ. Yes. Your mission isn't really possible without an indestructible attitude and an indestructible confidence that says, I reflect an eternal God who makes eternal promises. This allows us to live on mission every day so we can fulfill our banner. Come on, I want to hear the men in this house say, I will be a man on a mission. Come on, ladies, say it with me. I will be a woman on a mission. That was so dainty and sweet. I love it. Precious, precious. Now, as Pastor Wade was describing the movie scene, I know that every single one of you guys have imagined that that was you at some point. That's why they put it in the movies. It grabs the heart of every single man. No man aspires to be an apathetic man not on a mission. But we want to be men on a mission. Yeah, amen. This morning, we are bringing out treasures from the storehouses of God, both old and new. So we started with Caleb, something very obvious. But let's go to one a little less obvious. Let's go to 2 Kings 9. We'll start in verse 11. This is going to be Jehu. Not Jehu. Jehu. (laughs) When Jehu went out to his fellow officers... One of them asked, is everything all right? Why did this madman come to you? Now, Elijah has sent out a servant in the company of prophets to deliver a message from the Lord to Jehu. Jehu's companions saw Elisha's servant come in. And they they were calling him a madman because people always think, that you're a madman when you're a man on a mission. Come on, you know that look in somebody's eyes. It may be in the very look in your eyes. When there is a target in sight and it's clear that it has to be done now, nothing can stand in your way and everything else is just a distraction between you and completion of the goal. You better get out the way. You better get out the way. <laughs> I can hear these words being spoken in my native Cajun dialect. What did that crazy man say, bro? When we're thinking about these stories within the word, these are real men. These are real situations. It's not some movie or some figurative item. They're sitting around just being guys. Jehu is a commander of Israel's army. And they're just having conversation back and forth. And somebody runs in, a madman runs in with a message from the Lord and pulls him aside. Jehu responds, you know the man and the sort of things that he says. He tries to play it off. It's no no big deal. He was just told that he was going to be king over all Israel. That's not true, they said. Tell us. Jehu said, here's what he told me. Now you begin to see the man on a mission attitude that he had. This is what the Lord says. I anoint you king over Israel. Jehu now anointed king immediately began to assemble his troops to go out 
and dominate the enemies of God. Completing the mission of a king, not just as a commander. Do you see that transformation that took place? That Jehu received the anointing to be a king and not just a commander. When we stand under the family banner of Christ, we are receiving the anointing of a king, not just as a commander. Let's skip down to verse 17. When the lookout standing on the tower in Jezreel saw Jehu's troops approaching, he called out, I see some troops coming. Get a horseman, Joram ordered. Send him to meet them and ask, do you come in peace? The horseman rode off to meet Jehu and said, this is what the king says. Do you come in peace? What do you have to do with peace? Jehu replied. Fall in behind me. Is that a man on a mission? Yes. The lookout reported, the messenger has reached him, but he isn't coming back. (laughs) So the king sent out a second horseman. When he came to them, he said, this is what the king says. Do you come in peace? Jehu replied, what do you have to peace to do with peace, man? Fall in behind me. When he is saying this, what do you have to do with peace? It's because a man on a mission from God has clear discernment. He's not going to tolerate the enemy's desire to make a peace treaty with sin. He's not going to make a peace treaty with a compromise to the mission and the will that God has given him. There's deep convictions inside of him. A man on a mission from God has clear discernment and is able to immediately establish right order. Jehu was a man on a mission to the extent that as he is riding into battle, he is converting his enemies into his allies. What a boss. boss. What a boss. When you are a man on a mission, those standing in opposition to God will begin to follow your lead and join your God-given mission. Why is it important? Pastor, why are you harping so much on being a man on a mission? Because the will of God and the souls of others depend on you being a man on a mission. Verse 20. The lookout reported, he has reached him, but he isn't coming back either. (laughs) The driving is like that of Jehu, son of Nimshi. He drives like a madman. I've been noted to have some poor driving skills. I'm not really sure if they're the equivalent to the level of Jehu, but I can say there are some other areas of my life that may reflect the driving of Jehu. You see, Jehu's face couldn't be seen by the lookout, but his actions could. Can the enemy detect who you are from a distance? Because of your actions? Are you so demonstrative as a man on a mission that the enemy knows you're coming before he can detect or detect who you are? Oh, we got to be man on a mission. Amen. The repeated supernatural component within Jehu's mission was the prophetic discernment of how peace is to be established. And it is summarized in something like this. And we have to have the same attitude. You will either fall in behind me or you will fall before me. Amen. The same way that I'm going out putting on my armor, I'm going to return taking off my own armor because I own this battle. Amen. 
Some people say that we have a reputation at LCM of being intense. I see no other option than the Word of God. We have to be intense. You know, a couple of times I've had the pleasure of watching the effects of, leading, of me leading worship. And it's a joyous pleasure, particularly when I see our little ones, like Deacon, like Levi. They come over in a Sunday night fellowship. They bring their nylon string guitar, and they begin to worship in the same exact way that I do. And all it takes is 0.2 microseconds for me to see what they're doing. They're going, and I'm saying, wow, they're mimicking the way I worship. They put one foot forward. Their leg starts bouncing. (laughs) Their head lifts up. They close their eyes. They're screaming at the top of their lungs, and they're breaking every string on their guitar. It's the song, break every string, break every string. That's how you know it's like Pastor Matt right there. And I wouldn't change one thing about who I am. That it is a joy for me to see the spirit of Jehu inside of them just like it is inside of me. That when I get behind the helm or at the helm of leading God's people, I want it to feel like a freight train is beginning to have motion. I want to drive like Jehu, like a man on a mission. I may be kind of slow, and usually I am, but when I get up to speed, I'm going to mow everything down in my way. You know what it's like being in worship. Whenever we get to that point, there's a little bit of a blockade. Maybe there's something laying across the tracks, but all we do is add more coal to the fire of the Holy Ghost, and we will plow right through it every single time. Well, that's so much more than just within a worship service. That is the definition of what the P-Rows look like as we're a living sacrifice. We're going to drive the will of God like Jehu, like a man on a mission. Amen. The P-Row family mission is comprised of repeated supernatural components, which enable us to test and approve of what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. The P-Rows are passionately driven like Jehu. To arrive at this good, pleasing, and perfect will for the intent to destroy all authority attached to chaos. You know, the supernatural component that begins to display itself as we carry out our mission is the prophetic insight that we receive from the Lord to know the will of God for ourselves and for everybody else. I've watched my wife pause in the middle of of a worship service, write feverishly during someone's sermon, not because she was diligent to take notes, but because as someone was sharing a sermon, she was receiving a word of knowledge for everyone in the room. And it was for a group of people that didn't even believe that God could still speak today. That my wife is like a prophetic nuclear bomb, and I'm the missileer just waiting for the command to turn the key and push the button. That's the woman that I married. Better than a weed eater. She's a nuclear bomb, baby. Don't get him started. Don't do that. Through our attitude of being living sacrifices, we will have clear vision of God's will and able to test and approve of his will even when surrounded by chaos. Let's move to verse 22 here. When Joram saw Jehu, he asked, have you come in peace, Jehu? How can there be peace, Jehu replied. 
as long as all the idolatry and witchcraft of your mother, Jezebel, abound. Well, Jehu's supernatural discernment of how to establish peace caused him to drive like a madman on a mission. To go and destroy the authority attached to chaos. To go and destroy the kings of chaos and all of the idolatry and witchcraft of Jezebel. That's a man on a mission. Man, don't you guys love Jehu? What an incredible character. Turn with us to Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles chapter 14. We're going to see another man on a mission. We're going to talk about King Asa. Asa was a man and a king on a mission. He removed idolatry. He ordered God's people to act like it, to actually seek God and obey everything that he said. He led the charge and tore down the high places and the pagan altars. He built up towns, fortified cities, put the entire kingdom into right order, into shalom. No one was at war with Asa for many years in there. They were built up and prospered. See, with Asa, we see something interesting. We see a man, a king who is on a mission during peacetime and wartime alike. Whether he's building up his people, fortifying cities, or crushing the enemies, which is what we're about to read, Asa was here on a mission. Now, we're going to look at verse 11 of Second Chronicles chapter 14. The Cushites and their kings came against Asa and God's people with an overwhelming army. In some translations, it says that the army was at least a million men. Thousands times thousands. A million man army is what Asa and his kingdom are facing. Let me give you the scope of that. Currently, the United States Army has about 450 active soldiers. 450,000 active soldiers. Our army, our entire armed forces is about 1.2 million. Not the reserves, not the guard but the actual in uniform is about 1.2. So you're actually going to say that what Asa is facing is the size of the entirety of the United States military. Are you with me now? Can we sometimes just saying a million, we're like, well, that's a lot of people. What's the scale of that? It's our current military. With 330 million people in our country, this is the size of our military. Uh, can you say that Asa was looking at, uh, looking at some, some big trouble right before him? Yeah. But see, the same man who was on a mission during peacetime understood how to be on a mission during the wartime. Let's yes. look at verse 11. It says this, Then Asa called to the Lord his God and said, Lord, there is none like you to help the powerless against the mighty. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rely on you. And in your name we have come against this vast army. O Lord, you are our God. Do not let man prevail against you. I mean, I love Asa's prayer here. You should commit this to memory. Lord, there is no one besides you. No one, whether they are weak or strong, who can help us like you can, Lord. It's about you giving us your power that we might succeed, Lord. See, because we put our armor on. We're going to plan on owning this, but these are some big bad people that we're about to face. They're bigger than us. They're stronger than us. And we're going to take off our armor still in victory you got to help us, Lord. We are on your mission. We are facing a giant army. Isn't that what LCM always does? Yeah. I mean, isn't that really what we're doing on a daily basis? We're, we're committing more. We're doing more than really we should. But we're just trusting the Lord saying, Lord, there's no one like you to help Amen. somebody like us. Amen. I love what it says here. He says, oh, Lord, you are our God. Do not let man prevail against you. 
You see, when you're on a mission, there's a different mentality. Because I would have said, if I'm praying like Asa, here's honestly what I would have prayed. Lord, these are big, bad, there's a million of them. Like, I can't even count them all. There's just a million of them. Lord, um, don't let them win against us. Anybody ever had those kind of prayers? Yeah. See, when you have those kind of prayers, well, actually what you're thinking, you've forgotten that you're a man on a mission. Yeah. You've forgotten that you're a family that's on a mission because you're worried about your loss. Here, Asa is saying, Lord, don't let them win against you. Man, we should feel the exact same way. A family on a mission is so resolute and an indestructible attitude not to do our will, but to vanquish the enemies of God that we know that our victory is his victory, that his victory is our victory. This will instill within us some extremely deep convictions in our heart. Let's look at verse 12. The Lord struck down the Cushites before Asa and Judah. The Cushites fled and Asa and his army pursued them as far as Gerar. You know what you are when you're a man on a mission? Just because you see the, un- the enemy running away, you know you're not done yet. Yeah. You're still going to go. And look what he does. Such a great number of Cushites fell that they could not recover. How many times has God put us in a battle and what he intends for us is to continue to pursue the enemy? And what we do is stop because, well, they're at least leaving us alone for the next few minutes. The idea here is that when you're on a mission, you're going to go and make sure that this enemy can never recover. They're never going to get up. We're going to so decimate this thing that we will be able to walk away in freedom and then we can take our armor off. Men on a mission watch the power of God decimate the demonic dominions, manhandle the masses of the mediocre, and crush the consortium of the condemned. Man, we want our enemies to be so defeated that they can never recover. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, that's a good word. You guys want to be a man on a mission that utterly decimates the enemy? Y'all want absolute victory? Absolutely. Let's go to Acts chapter 10. We're going to look at another hidden character that was a man on a mission. Verse 30 is where we'll pick up. Cornelius answered, Four days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour. At three in the afternoon, suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me. This is a very familiar passage, right? Commonly known as Peter's vision, where he receives a vision of a sheet with unclean animals being drawn down and commanded to eat. But that's not really the whole point of this entire story. You see, Peter had a vision, but you know what Cornelius had? Cornelius had a visitation. How much better is that? It's one thing to have a vision. The heavens open up and you see something. It's another when the angel of the Lord's presence is standing before you, wow. bringing you a message. Amen. That will make you into a man on a mission. That will. Verse 31. And said Cornelius, God, and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately and it was good of you to come now we are all here in the presence of god to listen to everything the lord has commanded you to tell us cornelius was a man already on a mission 
He was already being heard by God. And because of his prayers and offerings to the poor, had built a memorial in heaven before Peter ever showed up. This reminds me of Treaster's testimony that he shared last Wednesday while in Africa. Though he didn't know what his mezuzah, what his family banner or purpose actually was, he just knew that he had to have the indestructible attitude to go after the will of God. Amen. You know, men, if you're not pursuing, knowing the, or pursuing the will of God, even though you don't have a clear mezuzah, it's time to rise up and be a man. Amen. It's time to rise up and be a man on a mission. Because nobody wants to follow a man who is aimless and full of fear and no direction. Wow. We have to rise up to be men, even when we don't have all the clarity of what we need to do. That's right. We need to wholeheartedly pursue the will of God. That's a good word. Cornelius responded immediately. Yeah. In verse 34, it picks up. Then Peter began to speak, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. By Cornelius acting immediately, it demonstrated a humility to receive what God was wanting to give him. And that resulted in a revelation that there is no favoritism. There's no favoritism in the kingdom of God except to those who are living on a mission. That's true. Cornelius was already a man living on the mission. And because of that, it put him in right order with God and thereby able to receive what God would give through other men to him. Good word. Everyone living on mission gets the same repeated supernatural components. Well, what it must have been like to be standing there. And you didn't just hear the word of God on a YouTube channel. You didn't hear the word of God through a pamphlet, but an angel of the living God showed up and visited you personally to let you know that somebody else is coming to give you all the details. See, what a great thought here that pastor is sharing. There's no favoritism for those who are living on mission, for those who are going all after. See, if you're not living on mission, though, it may look like there's favoritism towards you, towards others that are getting something that you can't have. What we're saying is you can all have it. See, we're not going to lower the standard and say that, oh, everybody gets it whether you're on mission or not. We're saying, come live on mission, and you get exactly what Cornelius got. You get exactly what Caleb got. You get exactly what Ace. You can get exactly what the Bible says, because there's no favoritism if you're living all out, sold out, no turn around, no quit inside of you. You go all after this, you get the same thing that every man and woman in the Bible has been promised. Says, do y'all want to be a man on a mission? You want to receive everything that God has waiting to reveal to you. As we read further and talk about the revelation that Peter received, you know what? It echoes in 1 Peter 3, 6. You ladies who have studied this over and over, you know that it says, and you are her daughters, meaning the daughters of Sarah, when you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Are you telling me that the conclusion that Peter came to while standing in front of Cornelius, receiving a revelation that there is no favoritism, would be the standard that he would then later write in his epistles to serve as a guide for the hearts of women to display that in the kingdom of God there is no favoritism when you're a man or woman on a mission? 
that Peter's revelation didn't just come straight down from heaven as he was in his prayer closet. It came from a Gentile. The result of him getting his heart right before God to see God's favor on those outside of his own culture. And pastor, in the same chapter, just a few verses later, you know what happens? As Peter's preaching to those in Cornelius' home, the Holy Spirit, it says that while Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit began to be poured out upon them and they began to speak in other tongues. See, I've actually had an experience with that with members of this church yep. in Mozambique. I was with Elder Bosch. I was with Pastor Eric. My two oldest and Gabe Stevens were there. Pastor Eric, in this case, it wasn't Peter. It was Pastor Eric as he was preaching. The Holy Spirit, Spirit fell in the room and a young man stood up, 19 years old, and no one touched him. No one said anything to him. He got filled with the Holy Spirit as he stood there in his place. Completely rocked by the power of the Holy Spirit. And what he did is when he came back to us, when he came back to us a little bit, when he realized what was going on, he began to look around. I was like, what is, what is he doing? He began to go lay hands on other people and they began to get filled with the Holy Spirit. He began to go turn and prophesy in multiple languages. He could already speak three. But he began to prophesy in the Holy Spirit language. What an incredible thing. As we get ready to close, we're right at about an hour that we've been with you right now. And I see people squirming and moving around just a little bit. We are on the final few verses. But this is not something. If we're going to be people on a mission. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Do, you, do you see how easy it is for us to fall off mission? And we're oh, getting, a little, getting a little restless. We have something. This is something from the heavens for you. Yeah. I promise you're not going to want to go out. And this is not the time to use the restroom. This is not the time to get your coffee. This is the time for you to zone in and go, Lord, Lord, drive this home in our hearts. Yes. Lord, we yes. want to be like Cornelius, God. We want to be like Eleazar, Lord. We want to be like Caleb. We want to be men and women on a mission. Turn with us to Revelation chapter 11. Revelation chapter 11. Let's look at verse 7. Now, when they have finished their testimony, these are the two witnesses. The beast that comes up from the abyss will attack them and overpower them and kill them. These two mighty men of God are known as the two witnesses. They're also called the two olive trees and the two olive, the lampstands right here in this passage. But we know them as the two witnesses of the end time. Do you know what? These men were so much on a mission, they didn't even, we're not even worried about their name. These guys, who are those guys? Those are those guys who are on the mission to witness. Yeah. I, we don't even need to know their names. We don't even need to try. There's so many theological debates about who these two people are. We've got that all settled. You can just come talk to us later. But do you realize that the point is, is it doesn't matter their names in this moment? Because they are so much on mission. Come on, if, you, if you're a child in the house and you've seen your dad or mom and they have that look and you just want to get out of the way, or husbands and wives, I don't know which, whichever way that that would be, Right? When you see the look, when you understand that someone is focused on a mission, you just need to get out of their way. This is what's happening with these two witnesses. For 1,260 days, they're prophesying. You try to come against them, fire comes out of their mouth. But on this day, when they had finished their testimony, somebody say finished. Finished. Mm. Finished a testimony. They got attacked and overpowered and killed. Well, I guess that means that their mission is done, isn't it? It's actually not. No. See, the first part of their mission was to finish their testimony. 
but that wasn't their whole mission. They were attacked, overpowered, and killed. I can assure you, anyone on a mission will have direct opposition. I promise you, you will. This is where the masses of Christians, our so-called Christians, will turn back because they say, it can't possibly be that we're going to experience difficulty. If we experience difficulty, this can't be God. We'll turn and go do something easier. See, that's not people being on mission. Look at verse 11. But after three days, three and a half days, a breath of life. Somebody say breath of life. Breath of life. The breath of life from God entered them and they stood on their feet. Man, you got to rise up when the spirit of God comes inside of you. And terror struck those who saw them. Oh my goodness. We were just rejoicing and giving each other gifts because these men had died. And now here they are standing again. See, we thought we could put you down. We thought we had defeated you. But here you are standing up again. One who had died standing there before us. You, because you have the breath of life inside of you. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying, come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud while their enemies looked on. Come on, man. you got to yeah. understand what's going on here. They are resurrected. See, you thought their testimony was finished because they died. You thought their work was done because something happened and it looked like it was over. But they stood up because of the Spirit of God in them. This is not stories for us to imagine, just to envision. These are stories for us to imitate and be like. This is what we are supposed to be doing. Not even death is a deterrent to your mission. Yes. They continued to be witnesses, but it is no longer about their testimony. Now their witnessing was about the resurrection power of God. That's good. Being filled with the breath of God in the presence and full view of our enemies will cause them to fall before us or join us, just like Jehu. And the truth is, is I don't care which. Because we have our armor on, and we're going to take it off in victory. Amen. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. We'll start in verse 4. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Oh my. Because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. Being a man on a mission is not displayed simply with words. Finding your mezuzah is not finding a well-crafted sentence to write inside the cover of your Bible. Finding a mission is not just attaching or adapting yourself to someone else's mission. It's hearing from the heavens of exactly what your mission is. Being a man on a mission is not displayed simply with words, but rather it is displayed with the power of the living God. It is displayed with the leading of the one and only Holy Ghost. It is displayed through deep convictions that are the result of being a man on a mission. Let me say this plainly. Being a man on a mission is being a man with deep convictions. What are we going to do here as pastors, as the elders of LCM? We're going to drive you to discover deep convictions that only come from the revelation of God to your heart and your mind. Look how this continues to play out. Play out. Look at verse 6. 1 Thessalonians 1, 6. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. Who is the us here? It's Paul, Silas, and Timothy. It's, it's in verse 1. You can look up and see that. 
the imitators. What Paul is saying here, what these men are saying is, you became imitators of us. And by becoming imitators of us and of the Lord, you have the Holy Spirit, you have power, and you have deep convictions. This is how they learned to walk in these deep convictions. In spite of severe suffering. Somebody say severe. Severe. Man, that's not that you didn't get the right parking place. (laughs) That's not that you've mishandled your own funds and you don't have anything left at the end of the month. That's not that you got a little sniffle and a cold. This is severe suffering that awaits those who are on a mission. Yeah. See, but those on a mission have no fear of that, what that's coming. Amen. In spite of severe suffering. Listen to these people who imitated Paul and Silas and Timothy and the Lord himself. Listen to what they did. You welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. I have to be honest with you. I try to tell you these things because maybe you think the way I do. If I am quoting this in my mind and I haven't looked at this verse, you know what I say? You welcome the message with joy. What does this say? You welcome the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. See, it wasn't just that someone determined, they're like, I'm going to have a good attitude today. The joy of the Holy Spirit was seen in their suffering because they imitated people with deep convictions and they imitated this man on a mission. This is incredible. Look at verse 7. And so you became a model. Somebody say model. Model. Everybody say model. You became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. It's after you've become a professional mimic, an imitator, an emulator, a copycat of the banner that God has put before you that you become a model to other people. Man, we don't have time for us to get into this word, but the Greek word there is tupos. It is a model that is formed from repeated striking, repeated blows, and repeated pressure that will leave an indelible mark on you. Yes. See, the goal is that you become a prototype. You become a model that is worthy of imitation because you understand how to live on mission. Yeah. This is the idea of Jesus Christ being the first fruits. He's already done it for us. He's the firstborn from among the dead. He is the prototype of what it looks like to give up your life and to pick it back up again and walk in it forever. Man, maybe you're going to be the first one to walk under a family banner that you've ever seen. Maybe you're the first one in your entire family line to receive divine, personalized promises. Maybe you're the first that you've ever seen outside of this building to have an indestructible attitude. I'd settle for it. For it being a first in your life to develop deep convictions that make you a model of what a man or a woman on a mission is like. Amen. We're trying to provoke your hearts and minds this morning. And I really am hoping that if you do not possess a clear family mission, that you're asking yourself right now, how do I find my family mission? I want your hearts to be in that position. Because we're going to summarize the models that we've already laid out in this message for you. For instance, how did Caleb find his family mission? He followed the Lord wholeheartedly. How did Eleazar find his family mission? He sought to complete the mission at all costs. How did Jehu find his family mission? He immediately acted on what God had already said and drove like a madman to pursue it. How did Cornelius find it? His humility put him in the position to listen to everything 
that the Lord was going to command him through Peter. And to tell him everything. He was ready. He immediately responded. And he was ready. Please tell me. I didn't come in because I think I have the answer. I came in because the Lord sent me to you. And I need to learn from you. Please tell me everything that you can. And as a result, his entire household received power from heaven to carry out their family mission. In addition to the characters that we've just listed from this message, I want to go a step further. And honestly, this is one that's a bit difficult for me, but the Lord is challenging me to be a man on a mission to take a more stronger stance on this fact. The Lord has given you, members of LCM, the leadership of LCM as a model to discover your family mission. Church, your family mission can be defined by the things that you are unstoppable in pursuing. Think about the Stevens. Like Caleb, finishing what God has given them to inherit because they are willing to pay the full price. They have become models of God's mission upon their family banner. Think about the Piros. Like crazy Jehu. <laughs> destroying the authority attached to chaos so that the Lord's will may be known because they are a living sacrifice. They have become models of God's mission upon their family. The Sutherlands, like Cornelius, being unshakable because they are willing to humbly lay down their lives, they have become, therefore, models of God's mission upon their family. Banner. Think about our elders with Bosch, Charlie, and John. Like Asa, they're removing idolatry from people's hearts. They're building up families, and they are fortifying the city of LCM. They have become models of God's mission upon their families. What you have before you, saints, are men of God who are standing under their family banner, who are carrying out the promise with an attitude as men on a mission that the lives of the leadership of LCM serve as additional models to the one seen in the Word of God. Ones that you can relate to. Ones that you can come and ask questions about. Ones that you can join the vision of and in that process discover all of the elements of building your family banner, but particularly one of the more important ones, and that is being on a man on a mission aiming to complete what God has started. Let's begin to stand to our feet. And here's a time of personal and familial reflection that I want you to have. You've heard the characteristics that we've laid out in the men of the word demonstrating being a man on a mission. You've heard our personal testimony of what we demonstrate as being a man on a mission. I want to take this time to go into God's presence and want your hearts to ask him Lord what do I need to do what area of my life needs your supernatural component in order to reveal to me what my family mission is and even if you're still struggling with what your mezuzah what your family banner is it's still the same process Rid your hearts of any idolatry. Rid your hearts of anything that is standing between you and God. So that you can be in right order with Him, just like Cornelius was. And you may even have a visitation 
by the presence of God to reveal to you the will of God. Let's get our hearts right so that we can see right and therefore we can live right. Jesus, we thank you for your word that is living and it's active. Lord, it's able to judge the thoughts and attitudes of our heart. I pray that in this room, hearts become hungry and desperate to know what your mission is for their family. But as they get right with you, as they humbly come before you, that you visit them, mighty King. Lord, that you visit them in the same way that you visited Caleb, the same way that you visited Eleazar, the same way that you visited Jehu and Cornelius. I ask that they receive revelation of who they are inside of you and that we collectively grow to be a church that is a man on a mission. We welcome your presence. We welcome your spirit. 